That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Welcome back to another episode of Same Old Song. My name is the Reverend Jacob Smith, and uh, as always, I'm with my uh, friend and co-host Aaron Zimmerman, and we are bringing you the lectionary readings for the fifth Sunday after Epiphany. And uh, we are also um, just, we're really excited here in New York City because the Jets won the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) A prophetic word. So anyway, doubt it. They won't even make Uh, the playoffs, but anyway, from where I'm sitting. But anyway, that's, you know... We, we live in hope, so, um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. so how well, are you? Well, I don't you? know if, I don't know if even the Lord can help there, that's Jake. That's right, uh, that's right. Um, yeah, no, things are good here in Waco. Uh, we're recording this, obviously, a few days, uh, or a few weeks, actually, before you, listener, dear listener, will be hearing this, uh, but it's a, it's a nice day in Waco, Texas, and uh, both you and I, Jake, are highly caffeinated and ready to jump in to these readings for the fifth Sunday after Epiphany. And again, mm-hmm. just for folks who are uh, just getting into this, the idea is that as we look at these readings, we try to find themes that will help the pastor as well as the interested non-professional Christian. And the theme in Epiphany is revealing, is who is Jesus for the whole world? And so what do we get in this first passage from the sixth chapter of Isaiah, Jake? Well, this is probably one of the most uh, famous passages from um, the prophet Isaiah. Um, And uh, this is when King Uzziah died, and uh, Isaiah sees this amazing, amazing vision of uh, God himself, um, surrounded by angels and um, and uh, with their faces, their feet covered as well, um, you know, uh, articulating the fact that they cannot look upon God and articulating the fact that they are in the presence of holiness, so they can't touch the ground. Um, but there is so much going on here and uh, for um, that I think ties into, that ties all three readings together. And that's this passage, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. And that is to say that God is always operating um, not only transcendently, but counterintuitively as well. His uh, transcendence is so ordinary that it always catches us off guard. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, there's, I think, uh, a divine irony here. God tells Isaiah to go to the people and say, you know, you guys don't understand what's going on. Um, the way that I will work is not how you think I'm going to work. And it's important to remember that this is Isaiah the prophet writing after Uzziah the king died. And he had been sort of a good king at the beginning, but then went off the rails. He tried to take some of the power that wasn't his. It's an interesting story. There's a good Rembrandt painting about it, but he's stricken with leprosy as punishment 
and the rest of his life he lives sort of hidden away and he dies uh, and here is Isaiah then seeing the true king the one who is behind and through and in all things as opposed to this frail human uh, king and so uh, the people are going to be looking for another king maybe this time we'll get it right maybe this time it'll be a good one we'll get back to the way David was or maybe at least to how Solomon was before he uh, went nuts with the ladies uh, but he's but God is saying to the to the people you're not I'm not going to work the way you think I'm going to work and one of the first things he does uh, I think is to call somebody like Isaiah, who is a sinner. So, uh, what do you yeah. what do you notice there, Jake? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, absolutely right. Uh, God is not going to call uh, someone who has got it all together. God is not going to, um, as the, as the great saying goes in the South, God doesn't call the qualified; He qualifies the called. And so, uh, and this is a perfect sense because Isaiah clearly uh, recognizes that he. Um, He's not worthy, and um, uh, he is a man of unclean lips. He's uh, essentially what that means is that he's got a foul mouth, and he's a liar. And uh, and God is going to um, uh, take this man and uh, is going to use him to actually uh, preach the truth of who God is, not only through his mouth, but in his very life. And it's going to be counterintuitive. And on a profound level, what this drives us to, though, is the one who did have a clean mouth and uh, who uh, prophesied rightly, um, our true prophet, who's also um, our great king and our great priest. And... Um, who embodies all of these things in our lives, uh, or or for our lives? Um, so uh, Isaiah, especially in this passage, drives us to to Jesus, the one who um, had clean lips but taken the punishment upon us. And uh, this is the this is the uh, great thing is that we don't naturally comprehend this at all. We don't naturally understand it, and uh, really, um, it uh, it it keeps the mind dull. I think, yeah, as I read this passage, uh, too, another thing that strikes me is how one of the things that is often pulled out of this, it's put into songs, it's going to be the theme of probably a lot of sermons on this text for this Sunday, is the here I am, Lord, send me. Mm. And I think people kind of miss what is going on here because mm -hmm. they want to use it to get their congregations motivated to to go out there and make the world a better place here i am lord send me which is not the sense of this passage at all mm -hmm. it's um the main idea of this passage is god's holiness uh and we should feel really reluctant like isaiah to serve him uh you know when isaiah describes this vision he has he can't even bring himself to talk about what god looks like mm -hmm. all he can say is um a little bit about what his clothes are and he can't even describe the robe or the vest or the uh, visor or the sunglasses or anything. He just says, not even the robe, just the hem of the robe. And he doesn't say anything about it except it fills the whole temple. So that's the vision he has of God. And so his response is not immediately, here I am, send me. It's first, no, woe is me, I am lost. Um, he only gets to the here I am, send me after he's been burned with a coal that even the seraph uh, can't touch. Um, he holds it with tongs. And then finally, when he says, okay, here I am, send me, um, his message is not one of like, hey, let's go out there and build God's yeah. kingdom. 
It's, His it's message a is destruction. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, this divine irony. People are not going to understand, and it's um, on, the only way people are ever going to get it. He says until cities lie waste without inhabitants. I mean, it's like the end of the Lorax when everything yeah. is falling apart. That's yeah. when people might get it. Um, so and that's this when people are truly open is, to the gospel rough. is when they come to the end of their rope. And exactly, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. That's... So, so if lay, if lay if lay people listen to this, hear their preacher get up and make a big deal out of "Here I am, send me," but doesn't root it in the context we've just described, I, you can stand up and say, "Excuse me, excuse <laughs> me, I'd like, can I have a word?" Um, <laughs> I I do right? love that song. It's really kitschy. So um, you know, <laughs> um, I think it's because uh, you know we sang it a lot in my church when I was in high school. But it it really it's it's it strikes a. It strikes a warm fuzzy in my heart. But you have, you have a nostalgic moment. Oh, you bet. I, I'll play it that Sunday too, for sure. But uh, um, <laughs> but I will remind everybody that um, this is the message we're sending out. Um, Until the city lies waste without inhabitants and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate. That's what's coming. So um, <laughs> so let's. But, so if you were to preach us, this again, yeah, the idea is God is holy. We are not, um, and the message, the way God works through unholy people is to preach a counterintuitive message. And so let's segue from that. The, the readings today are Isaiah 6, 1 Corinthians 15, and Luke 5. So now as we turn to, to 1 Corinthians 15, what are the threads you would pick up if you were going to be preaching on this one, Jake? Well, I think uh, I think uh, three things come out right out of this passage. One is, is in relation to Isaiah, that this passage is actually, um, it's counterintuitive, the message. So I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which in turn you received, in which you also stand, um, that I proclaim to you uh, of first importance what I in turn had received. So the thing is, is that uh, the gospel that Paul is preaching, this counterintuitive message, this is the message of chief importance. Um, on Sundays, um, anybody can go anywhere and hear about relationships. Anywhere can Anybody can go and hear about financial management. Or, you know, I read about some church in Texas, not in Waco, but uh, another church in Texas where they were doing a whole series on sex and lovemaking and all of this. Like that is all horse crap. Uh, what we need <laughs> is um, the gospel. And this is the message that Paul proclaimed of chief importance. And when he says chief importance, what he means is this is the only thing I'm talking about. So that's the first thing. Yeah, I would say I was at a church in Texas recently that talked about, um, it was a funeral and it didn't ever mention the resurrection. I mean, sort of in passing. So I, I'm with you on that. Uh, anything that doesn't talk about the resurrection as first importance is missing the boat as far as St. Paul is concerned. But yeah, what's the second thing? The second thing is, is that this message um, is the message that St. Paul received. Um, it's not one that he came up with. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a fad. Um, and this is really good news for a lot of pe preachers because... Um, for a lot of preachers, because, you know, you can't like out cool, you can't create something new. Uh, stick to the old thing that Jesus has risen from the dead. Um, that's the message we received. And uh, that's the message Paul received. And it's counterintuitive and it's good. Um, and finally, the third thing that I would hit on about this is the historicity of this message. Um, this did not happen like, you know, this isn't a fable. This isn't a myth as we build up towards Easter. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the epiphany that he is indeed the Lord and Savior of the world, and um, and that because he has risen from the dead, you also will rise from the dead, and that um, it didn't just happen to Paul in a vacuum. It happened 
lots of people saw this and that's the message we hand out and hand down yeah uh so if if you want to have a poetic illustration from this there's john updike's seven stanzas at easter where he always says you know if the if the molecules didn't or the cells didn't re-knit if the molecules didn't rekindle or whatever i mean he basically is drawing in this it's it's just we believe in vain if this didn't really happen mm. and i love how paul ties all this together uh, there are some corners of Christendom where they really want to get away from this idea that Jesus died for our sins. They want to mm -hmm. see him as an example or just an ex uh, illustration of perfect sacrificial love without really wanting to talk about sacrifice and what it's for. But Paul says, here's the whole ball of wax. This is what we received. Christ died for our sins. He buried. He really died. It wasn't just a swooning or a fainting. That he really rose from the dead. It was according to the scriptures. And he doesn't just stop there. He says, now let me call some witnesses to the stand. Cephas is the first one, which is, you know, another word for Peter. Uh, then to all the twelve. Uh, and then to 500 people at one time. And he says, some are still alive. So if you want to know, go ask them. Uh, so like you say, the historicity is key. And this is the message we hold on to. Um, <laughs> Not just Jesus died for my sins, but Jesus died for my sins, was buried, rose again, and then and is alive uh, still. Yeah, um, and, that message, and you said you had a that message of the atonement is key to Christianity, one hundred percent. That is what the Old Testament is all about. This is what Jesus came to do, um, atonement, and uh, and uh, it's not because God is some sort of bloodthirsty kind of you know angry grouchy old man. Um, it is because he is holy. And uh, this is how a holy and just God operates. And, um, and you receive all the gifts and benefits of that. Um, and, uh, and that's why it is, it's not to say that Christus Victoris is an important theme. It's not to say that Christ as our example isn't an important theme. But those themes are all held together and held, um, and held up by the foundation, which is um, Christ our sacrifice for us. And um, and that is key, and you cannot move away from that at all. Yeah, which uh, is why John the Baptist, from the beginning of Jesus's ministry, says the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is sacrificial language. But I think the 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 heading for this passage, uh, if I were to pick one, would be the name of that hit song, the one hit wonder from Sean Penn's brother Michael. Uh, no myth was a big song in the 90s. Um, and Paul is saying, this is not a myth. This really happened. Um, and you get here also, as Paul is talking about the ones to whom Jesus appeared, he says yes to James, to all the apostles, and then to me, sort of the runt of the litter. I'm the least of the apostles, unfit to be one because I persecuted the church of God. So again, we have this thread, like Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy to be a prophet. And Paul is saying, I'm also not worthy. So the other, um, if you've got no myth from Michael Penn, we've also got Mike Myers and uh, Dana Carvey as uh, Wayne and Garth saying we're not worthy. That's the other kind of idea here. Um, and if you'd like to get a mullet wig for this uh, Sunday, I think it'd be appropriate and it would be a, a helpful illustration for your mm. congregation. Jake, you already have one. Our listeners can't see it right now, but it's just a beautiful flowing <clears throat> mullet. Oh, well, yeah, that's right. That's right. I thought you were talking about an illustration. There's a great um, hymn. It's called Blessed Be the King Who's Coming in the Name of, the, in the name of God. 
And uh, it's an Advent hymn, but it's very it's a very appropriate for this passage as well. And also on um, I'll reference it on Palm Sunday. But there's this great line in the second verse, and it goes, Blessed be the king whose coming is in the name of God, by whose truly listen his voice is truly heard. Pity the proud and haughty who have not learned to heed, the Christ who is the promise, who has atonement made. And um, that, is, uh, that, is, that is the message that we herald to the world. Christ has atonement made. And you hear it like in the prophet Isaiah at the end of your rope. You hear it um, in the message of St. Paul, who also came to the end of his rope. He was knocked off his high horse. And we see it now in uh, Luke's gospel, this counterintuitive message in flesh um, on a fishing boat. Yeah. So we've got, uh, we've got here in Luke 5, again, beginning of Jesus's ministry. And again, we're going to see that thread of somebody who comes into contact with God and feels unworthy. So Isaiah felt unworthy. Paul felt unworthy. And here it's going to be Peter feeling unworthy. So they're by the lake of Gennesaret, which some of your people may tune out at that word. It's a really, it's kind of one of those Bible places that seems foreign and far away. Um, but it's uh, the Sea of Galilee. It was also called Lake Gennesaret. Gennesaret was the Hebrew word for harp. And if you if you get in your drone and take a picture of the Sea of Galilee, it sort of looks like the shape of a of a harp. And so that's where uh, we are as we begin. Probably near Peter's hometown of Capernaum, Jesus' base for operations, because we know just a few chapters earlier, Jesus was uh, preaching in the synagogue at Capernaum, um, which is that little uh, village where you can still visit today on the shore of, of Lake Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. So there they all are to hear the word of God. Um, it's significant Maybe. that that's... The, they're they're yeah. coming there also to see an all-around wonderful entertainer. Because he's yeah, doing miracles. Show. Yeah, I mean, he is... Yeah, the he circus is, is in town. Jesus is a sideshow attraction, that is for sure. And they are pressing in. And uh, and they're kind of... Uh, they're probably cramping Peter's uh, Peter's uh, business a little bit. So, yeah, they, uh, they, they, there's two boats next to the shore. They've been fishing all night long. And you got to wash your nets after you fish. And that's sort of frustrating. I mean, it's, it's sort of like the dirty cleanup work after this pulling the graveyard shift, uh, but they don't even have anything to show for it. As we hear later, they've they've uh, come away empty from their night of fishing. So Jesus teaches, he finishes this whole uh, speech. We don't hear anything of what he says. And then, you know, he's already borrowed Peter's boat to sit down and, pr and preach to these folks. You know, you can imagine Peter just finally cleaning that last net, folding it up, putting it away. And he finishes speaking and he says, hey, Peter uh, or Simon at this point, uh, even though you've just finished cleaning your nets and you really just want to go home and kick back and maybe crack open a nice cold Budweiser and uh, watch the game or something. Let's go back out on this fool's errand This because, you know, you've been out there all night. And you haven't caught anything, but let's try again. So so Peter kind of uh, Simon mansplains Jesus. You know, we've been out all night, Jesus. We haven't caught anything. Rolls the eyes. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. That's right. And then, And I think what you see here playing here is like um, a little bit of a, um, a scene from the prophet Isaiah, which is the first reading. You know, you have um, Peter now, the fisherman, but he's in the presence of veiled in flesh, you know, um, Jesus. The Godhead seed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, um, and so it's kind of like, oh, come on, Lord. Like how... 
you know, you can't relate to me. I mean, this is this is kind of the feeling here. And you can touch on with your readers like, you know, oh, God, you, you don't understand. You know, Jesus, you don't understand what, what my life's like. And um, and Jesus is like, just test me. And this is a powerful thing. You you know what? You you may not be able to relate to Jesus in every way, but he can definitely relate to you. And uh, and he is there in your boat wherever you seem to be. Yeah, I, it's and it's what's amazing, too. Jesus is getting, I mean, he knows he's getting ready to call Peter, because that's what happens at the end of this passage. He talks to Simon and to James and John and says, hey, come follow me. And they leave everything and they follow him. But he sort of, um, he sets them up uh, to be able to be in a position to do that, uh, interestingly, in that he ha- he gives them incredible success in their business. I mean, this is their job, is to fish. And, they, and the passage goes to great lengths to tell us how successful this day is. I mean, this is just like, the, this is Black Friday for Peter, James, and John. This is where all their prophets of the year come in, because it's so many fish, not only do the nets begin to break, but they fill the boats, and the boats are beginning to sink. And um, so Peter has two things happen him that day. One, he realizes that Jesus is is the, the Lord. Lord. Creation, yeah. He realizes his own sinfulness, which is the perfect place to begin ministry, you know, uh, realizing your own lack and weakness. But then also Jesus is giving him this huge financial windfall, uh, this huge catch of fish that they would be able to uh, sell. Um, and, you know, the, the passage doesn't say this, but I kind of as someone who has sometimes needed God to show up uh, to meet my incarnational reality needs, um, this certainly would have done that for Peter, uh, James, John, and their families, and um, especially since they're getting ready to go off on this itinerant ministry. Maybe as Peter goes home to tell his wife he's going to be taken off for a few months, at least he would have been able to say, but hey, I'm taking care of you financially. There's a there's a lot in the bank. We had a great day at I'm the going lake on today. The, I'm going on a three-year camping trip with Jesus. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? And he's like, don't worry, we got it covered. And so we took all right. care of it. <laughs> we took care of it. So I'm going to take a there's sabbatical cool. for three the years and roll with amazing. this guy. But it's, it is interesting because, you know, when this happens, um, at this moment, Peter realizes that he is in the presence of uh, his Lord. And um, yeah, I love he drops to the ground in this like, Lord, uh, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Uh, this isn't uh, kind of any sort of humility. This is terror right here a little bit. Mm. Um, and uh, and this is, you know, what Jesus says to him. Do not be afraid. And um, I, I, I love that, you know, that... Um, the, the 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 real reaction to a sinful person uh, who's called to ministry, which everyone listening to this is in some way, uh, somehow, um, yeah, your response rightly is to be afraid. Um, but God's word to you, um, the gospel, as he prepares to send you out, is always do not be afraid. From now on, I will you will be catching people or I will make you a fisher of men. And, uh, you know, and what that really means is, is that um, you're a person who's actually genuinely interested in people. Um, You're a person who actually uh, cares for people because you know uh, that God has met you at the end of your rope. So you're available, available to people at the end of theirs. Um, and uh, and I think that that's kind of how evangelism uh, plays out in everyday life and in everyday context. It's really being a person who's genuinely concerned with other people. And when you're genuinely concerned with other people, then the doors are always eventually opened to share with them the Lord who has called you to be a fisher of people. Yeah, there's a great episode of This American Life uh, mm. where Ira Glass is talking to a guy who's uh, a kind of a pastor and an evangelist, and uh, he used to 
have that focus of, you know, I got to get as many people saved as possible, but he realized he was just alienating people. Mm -hmm. And so he adopted a new strategy, um, which was essentially just to ask people how they were doing and then to shut the blank <laughs> up yeah. and just listen. And he said, you know, he had this whole perspective change where he said, it's much more important to get people across the starting line than to get them to the finishing line. And, um, and just to care about people. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the other, th you know, so we've got here, just as we sum up here, we've got Isaiah, who's got a foul mouth. We've got Paul, who tried to wipe out Christianity and approved the killing of Christians. And we have Peter, who's got this contemptuous, doubting attitude towards Jesus when he tells him to put the the nets in the boat, or the nets in the water. Um, and yet all of them are chosen by God, used by God. But I think you know, you could have this sermon that's like, you're sinful, I'm sinful, God uses all of us. Um, yeah. And people, and so you, you, you know, it's it's February, it's a new year, you might say, so let's, you know, let's this year, let's let God use us. And you might fall in the trap of thinking you're turning over a new leaf, and now that you're serving God, you'll no longer be a sinner. And that's why it might be important to mention sort of about Peter, for example, that he continued to fall flat on his face during his ministry of following Jesus. It wasn't perfect following. Uh, and there's that other great scene at the end of Jesus's ministry where Peter's on the beach after the resurrection, or Jesus is on the beach after the resurrection, and Peter sees him while he's in the boat. He's a, he's, you know, in this passage, he says, they left everything and followed him. But in that passage, at the end of Jesus's ministry, Peter's given up. He's gone back to fishing. And then he sees Jesus on the beach and jumps out of the boat to swim to Jesus to get to him as fast as he can because he's still a sinner. But now he knows even more deeply how much he needs the Lord. So this idea of Christians in ministry, it's not for the perfect. It's not for the folks who have it together. It's for people like you and me and for people like Peter who are simultaneously justified in sinners. Simul used to set peccator. Yep. Uh, that's uh, that's really good. And, um, and that is a great way to stop. And uh, so... Um, happy preaching, everyone, and uh, we will uh, see you next week. Bye, y'all. Somebody's looking, somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.